Welcome back to another edition of NFL University, the show where we educate you on all things across the National Football League landscape. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride. NFL University is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Had some dominating performances across Super Wild Card Weekend that we're going to dive into on today's show and some huge matchups in the divisional round. So I'm ready for football. It's the best weekend of football of the year, in my opinion, in the divisional round when we kind of eliminate the teams that didn't belong in the playoffs. So let's get straight to it with Kyle Posey of Niners Nation and Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co. KP, I think we have to start the show kind of giving the floor to justice here and these Dallas Cowboys that me and you were talking ourselves into for weeks. And we were finally like, man, the Cowboys are so talented. Like they could, they could make some noise in the playoffs and they went out of their way in that football game to show you what a detriment Mike McCarthy is to them as, as an organization, as a team, just, it was just a total catastrophe of mismanagement and justice has been screaming that from the rooftops for weeks. So I, I give you the floor justice. We brought this on ourselves. Look, Mike McCarthy after the 2014 NFC championship game should have been banned from the sport. He's a detriment to the sport. He's not one of the best, you know, 32 head coaches in the league. I know, I know, RJ was poking at uh, KP before the game. It was like, here come the McCarthy doubters. It's time to silence them. Not so much, man. This is a guy who one time went 15-1 and and lost in the divisional round after his team had won like 24 of 25 games or something. Um, A bad coach. A bad coach. There's nothing else to say other than this was the guy who, when he immediately got fired, begged for the New York Jets job. And the Jets were like, you know what? I think we're going to ride with Adam Gase. And then for some reason, he spent a week with or a day with Pro Football Focus. He spent less time with Pro Football Focus than most people spend, you know, preparing for their fantasy drafts. And he got completely rebranded. He stayed the night over at Jerry Jones's house. And now he gets to be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, the most valuable franchise in the NFL. I They're, they're not going to make a move. They said they're not going to fire him. But he's clearly not the answer. And when both of your coordinators might be gone, um, that's a tough pill to swallow because now McCarthy already had to fire all his buddies on the defensive side of the ball after his first year. So now he's going to have to hire a third defensive coordinator in three years. Um, how many, how many times do we think he's going to get this one right? Well, he's proven that he's not going to be able to get it right, which says something. Uh, the coordinators are supposed to be the hev- the ones doing the heavy lifting, right? Like he's supposed to be the CEO. So now you're putting the franchise back in the hands of Mike McCarthy. Like how scary is that to think about? And, Steve, I don't think we can give justice credit for this because remember at the very beginning of the year how this argument started and look how we've come full circle. It's almost as if... Your argument was the quarterbacks. You were like the quarterbacks in the NFC East or something and you're like, it can't be Dak because of McCarthy. And I was like, yes, it can. Dak Dak can produce and the team can still fail when it matters. I've seen it so many times in Green Bay. You know how many years Mike McCarthy wasted with Aaron Rodgers? (laughs) This is, mind you, Mike McCarthy, if you go back and, no, you got to listen. If you go back and read the Mike McCarthy stuff at the end of the Packers era, where they're like, hey, all the things that, you know, Mike McCarthy did wrong, where he's sneaking out of meetings, getting massages, sneaking up the masseuse through through a fire escape so that he could get a massage in his office. One of the things that they always clown McCarthy for was like, Mike McCarthy thought he made Joe Montana. This Mind you, Mike McCarthy didn't coach Joe Montana until he was a Kansas City Chief. Like, this is who he is, man. This is just who he is. He fired Alex Van Pelt because he got a little scared of him. Like, gosh, this guy. And it's just going to keep happening over and over again. I know you guys aren't firing him yet, but, like, okay, next year or the year after. Like, disappointment is is on the horizon. Yeah, so Jerry Jones said after the game, like, this can't happen with all the talent that we have on the roster. So knowing that, what are the odds that the defense is going to be better next year? Think about what they were – Think about what, how well they played this year. Are, is Trayvon Diggs going to have 11 interceptions ever again? Are they going to be able to generate yeah. that many turnovers? 
So their pass the rush, it's the turnovers. Those are going down. Yeah, Those are, like, are guaranteed to go down. Well, Dax, to Dax' cap hits about to double too, and then it's going to get ten million more. You know, after twenty twenty two, anyway. So, yeah, it's only it's only going to get tougher for the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, is that Mike McCarthy calling into the show? <laughs> <laughs> no, so, but it, go ahead, Steve. Uh, I, I was just going to say, yeah, it's the the defense, obviously, like they have playmakers, so maybe it can take a step forward, but there's no way they're forcing that amount of turnovers. And you also have to take a look at their offensive line and like Tyron Smith, who has had injury problems for several years now, like he's an incredible left tackle. But at some point, like that offensive line where we we've spent years now talking about it being one of the best in the NFL, like at some point that's going to expire and you have to be like, okay, well, what do we do now with this? So Tyron Smith did not play well on Sunday and that is putting it very lightly. He got worked over by the 49ers backups and knowing that if he's banged up right now, expecting him to get better as he gets older, as he is going to probably continue to have to fight through injuries because injuries like this just don't go away. He's, he's, it, feels, it feels like he's been nicked up quite a bit over the past couple of years. So it feels kind of naive to, to assume that that's going to be able to go away. So, yeah, I think bringing up Tyron Smith and just that offensive line in general, like they have their work cut out. Yes, Stacks a superstar. CeeDee Lamb's going to get better. You're going to have to probably pay him. Eventually, you're going to have to figure out what to do, you know, with Gallup, with Amari Cooper. Is Gallup going to be able to come back in time for you to make a playoff run? There's – they have a lot of questions, and then that's before we even get to the other side of the ball. So, uh, good luck, Mike. Good luck. Yeah, CD Lamb almost forgot about him. Where is it? Where is he all game? We we got to get the reactions from you two on uh, the two big plays. So the end of game play where there was the draw. I I just saw McCarthy uh, said in a presser that they actually had called a pass in that situation, and Dak checked into the draw play. Um, that to me it wasn't his fault. Got it. Yeah, let me get on your franchise quarterback. He did say he did say that it was the right call in that situation. So here, here's my main thought on that. I am sure that if you are repping that in practice, and there's 12 seconds on the clock, and your like uh, practice umpire knows that that's the situation that you're calling it for, you can get up there and you can clock it in that amount of time. Of course. What the Cowboys clearly didn't do is no one on the coaching staff, no one on the field leaned over to the umpire and said, hey, just so you know, this is coming. So if you could get on your horse and we could go up and clock that, that'd be great. So, you know, the clock doesn't expire after this. And the umpire never got that relay. I mean, they were down there with the ball and you don't see the the referee come into the frame for another two, three seconds and he's running full on sprint. So he, he, he must surprised. have been. Yeah. So like those are situations where it's like, yeah, it could have been like the ref certainly could have done more to get involved in that play and get the ball down and get it set so that the clock could start winding and you could spike it. But you got to let that guy know. And it's pretty clear. No one let that guy know. Like if they had leaned, if they had talked to him before we would have heard about it already at this point, if that makes any sense. No, that's a great call. Just because I've heard Kyle Shannon say numerous times this season, Hey, I'm going to let the ref know we're going to run a double move here. So the cornerback's probably going to hold call this penalty dallas is flagged for defensive holding on a on a third down that gives them a first down that doesn't happen more than likely without you know the coaching staff being in their ear hey this is going to happen we're going to do this keep an eye on this and just i mean it goes to show you that coaching goes well and beyond um calling x and o's doing you know the simple stuff the fourth down decisions that we all worry about or all focus on um speaking of they go for the fake punt. What were they doing with this special team situation? Because that was a giant disaster. I don't know what they thought was going to come out of that play. I don't know what was going on. I was just staring at the play, wondering, waiting for something to happen, and nothing ended up happening. Dallas, the people running the play, looked more confused than the defense, who was already ready on the field, prepared for what was going to happen, man. What was that? Did you hear McCarthy's uh, explanation? I listened to the postgame presser because, like, when I see something that weird on a football field that doesn't make sense to me, it like gets under my skin. So I'm like, I gotta figure this thing out. Um, did you did you hear what his explanation was? No. Okay. They have a two play call coming. So they were gonna run the hurry up no matter what. So for whatever reason, so you you look at the play, let's just talk about that fake punt at you know in the beginning anyway. So they're about midfield, 
It's like fourth and five. Um, it's defense stay. So they have their base defense in. Josh Norman is, is the gunner who actually, you know, allows or, or the vice guy who actually allows uh, the reception to happen and the first down conversion to happen. Basically, Norman is just full blown turn, doesn't have any vision on the punter at all, just kind of like is going through the motions. And that's probably something that they saw in film, which is totally fine to call the fake punt in that situation. If the guy isn't giving you an honest look and you can take something, go and take it. The problem was they had a two call. Uh, they called it a turbo call. Um, you get back onto the line. I guess they were going to run some sort of like uh, McAfee type of play is, is the only thing that I can think of, you know, with the punter running, yeah. you know, laps in the backfield. Um, here's the problem. San Francisco got a substitute and they weren't stuck in that defense stay call because one of the Dallas Cowboys players had celebrated and come off of the sideline. So then they counted oh, that wow. as a substitution change. So so San Francisco was able to get their nickel defense onto the field. And <laughs> Dallas is like, so this isn't like the play. This isn't the look, right? Like this isn't the look that we wanted. You practice our, against this coach? Yeah, this isn't the look that we wanted our punter and our offensive line that averages 246 pounds out there because we got tight ends and linebackers and the long snapper. And if you look at the uh, the play, the San Francisco 49ers aren't even like getting set. Because their long snapper is three yards away from the ball trying to talk to the sideline like, hey, man, this isn't the look. And if I touch this ball, there's nothing that we can do because you can't substitute out. You can't mass sub out the long snapper. So he's just standing there like looking at the sideline, standing away from the ball. San Francisco's like, we're not going to snap it. Yeah, he's the only person who made a heady play on that entire situation. And everyone else is like looking at the sideline like, what are we doing? The punter's running laps. Just a terrible call, and it all it all happened because a guy celebrated and came off of the sideline. Like, what a mess! I just love that they practice this situation, and it's like nobody in practice was like, "Are we sure this isn't like a momentum killer? <laughs> like, like if we convert this fourth down, are we sure that that we're not just you know totally killing the momentum that we made by converting that fourth down because?" keeping our special teams unit on the field and trying to run another play seems desperate. And it seems like it's a bad move. No one on that coaching staff was like, I don't know about this. I don't know if this is a good call. Think about everything that we've talked about so far. So just the special teams, the fourth down, how do you go through these practice situations and only go through the perfect ideal situations? Like that never <laughs> happens. It's just so, it doesn't make any sense to do that. There, there has to be some type of counter to where, all right, guys, here's what's going to happen if things don't go perfect. That you can tell that just never crosses the coach's mind. Like Mike McCarthy is what I'm speaking about, but just unreal, man. I guess that just speaks to volumes of why they're bounced, like why they're not here anymore. Because when you look at their roster, you would think that they'd still be playing, but. It's tough to overcome. Uh, yeah, and to be Mike. to be fair, it's not like San Francisco played a great game either. It seemed like San Francisco uh, no. wanted to cough up that ball a couple of times. Um, really they what, wanted to go what, on vacation. San Francisco, after that first drive, never drove down the field. They never did. They got one more touchdown, and it was off of that uh, Dak Prescott interception that, honestly, that was just a great play. I mean, that, that ball's in a pretty tight window, but you don't expect that thing to get picked. They start the drive. At the 30-yard line, they end up scoring from there. But that's the only other time San Francisco scored a touchdown after that first drive. And Dallas just wasn't able to get the points on the board, man. Yeah, and they they struggled offensively throughout the entire game. And I think the 49ers ha- had a really nice game plan. The end, end of game call by the Dallas Cowboys, it was just Mike McCarthy invented a new way of leaving the game in the referee's hand. Like that was the way that I thought about it. Like, because what you mentioned, like Kyle Shanahan will let the refs know, like, Hey, we're going to do this. Like be ready for this. That's just comes back to game management. And so then after the game, when Dak Prescott's like, good fans were throwing trash at the refs, like they deserve it. And then he has to come out and make an apology for saying that, because that's not what you're supposed to say. Like they went out of their way to leave the hands in the games of the referee. You're asking a, a 50 year old to, to hurry up and, and get the ball placed and rush run downfield with your world-class athletes. Like that doesn't make any sense. And it was just a horrible play call that should have never happened. I don't remember that. Did he throw the ball at him? Did he throw the ball at the ref? Zach? He, he gave it to the center. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. He gave it to the center, and then there was that whole situation where, you know, the ref is trying to run between the center and the guard. They're already set, and then he gets the ball. He bobbles it. I mean, that stuff happens. That's what people yeah. always talk about. Like, that whole operation with the umpire is what people always talked about with um, Chip Kelly coming into the NFL and how you can't go hurry up in the same way that you can in college because so much of it depends, you know, on that umpire and him spotting the ball, and he controls the tempo to a certain extent. And for sure, that's just how this game is, man. And you you know that that was a McCarthy issue because the only coach who talks to the referees really is the head coach. I mean, he's that, that's kind of his job. Nate Tyson and I always joke about um, whenever you get, like, the uh, – illegal formation stuff or illegal motion stuff it's like oh the line judge is just tired of, of whatever head coach is on that sideline like, in his ear all day yeah because yeah, a lot of, a lot of he's lined up when the yeah. Coach is like, yeah non-stop, a lot of times annoying. it's that like that communication between the head coach and the referees like that that matters and in this situation it cost him a game so for the 49ers it felt like they came into this game knowing exactly what they wanted to do against this Dallas defense. And I thought Kyle Shanahan had a really good game plan offensively. Now, Jimmy G uh, did the Jimmy G stuff where made some nice plays and then had some plays like that interception later on in the game where you were like, Jimmy, what are you doing here? But overall, I think as far as the 49ers go defensively, obviously have to be thrilled with how they played and offensively. I really liked their approach, just trying to out physical the Dallas Cowboys throughout this entire game. And they didn't even really have to utilize George Kittle in the passing game that much. Like Brandon, Ayuk and Debo Samuel were just fantastic for them. So four games now with Kyle Shannon in the playoffs, 49ers, they're averaging 195 yards rushing and they are doing it essentially off of like three or four different plays, they're just mauling people. And it's pretty impressive, man. But eventually your quarterback is going to have to make a play and that hasn't happened yet for them in the playoffs. So it's, it's going to be difficult to do that, to play like they did, like in the totality of the game. So you're going to remember Debo's big run, which was one play on a short field. You're going to remember the opening drive where it's like, whoa, is this is how it's going to be all game? And you're going to ignore the miss to Brandon Ayuk on a third down. You're going to ignore uh, another miss where he throws into triple coverage and he's lucky that the ball is tipped. You're going to ignore the interception where he's rolling to his right. So the throwing side and he misses the wide receiver five yards away from him and throws it 15 yards. How is that possible? But it's nothing new. And that I think that's the thing. So um, it, it's going to be really difficult to overcome all of the mistakes that they make and that's before we even get into their special teams, which was probably the worst unit on the team, like comfortably. And at some point, you know, the defense isn't going to be able to be like Monstars, like especially at Monstars up front for four quarters. That's essentially what they've been uh, the last month or so. So, I mean, this is where, you know, if Aaron Rodgers plays like Aaron Rodgers, this is where – that's why I think the line is six, and that's why it's going to be – I don't know. It's going to be tough for them based on what I've seen from them. Um in the last couple of weeks, because even if you go back to the Rams, yes, the end of the game was very good. The first half still counts. Like <laughs> there's a reason that they're able to, there's a reason that they have to constantly dig themselves out of the hole. And a big reason why is because of Jimmy. Hey man, punters are completing passes against Josh Norman. You got Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams. Your, your defensive front is a little banged up between, you know, Warner with the, the ankle and Bosa with the concussion. The Packers are finally going to get their starting five taking the first snap of the game. Uh, it's going to be the first time they've ever taken a snap together as a unit. Um, I, I'm feeling it. Jimmy G in sub-zero temperatures at night when he has, like, no experience in the cold. I think, what, the Niners have gone, like, three and two on the road since October. Two of them were overtime wins, and the other win was a uh, game against the Jags, you know, before this game. So, feeling good. Feeling so good. He has Jimmy. a new shoulder injury too, and that's that's the thing. So always after a game where you know he throws an interception, <laughs> there's a new injury that pops up. And this time, so Jimmy was supposedly driven into the ground, the second quarter sack, and that's why he was sailing those passes in the second half. Or that's what we we're told. The reason he's sailing those passes because in no way does that happen when he's healthy. But anyway, um, so you have a guy who's dealing with a thumb already on his throwing hand, and now his throwing shoulder. So who knows how effective he's going to be? Well, at least yeah, Trey Lance is running the uh, Aaron Rodgers on the scout team. I saw right. that. So 
As he's long aggressive and letting it rip, baby. Look, as long as he's running scout team, they can't be running package plays for him. So I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to hear that. Love it. Sure. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I don't feel as strong uh, for the San Francisco 49ers this week against Aaron Rodgers and all the players that they're probably going to have back in this football game. But is Jair going to play? Yeah, he's been Jair, practicing, right? Yeah, Jair is going to play. Zadarius and Whitney Merciless are the question marks. Um, it sounds like Randall Cobb's going to be back. He's probably going to be activated tomorrow. Um, but yeah, w- Whitney Merciless and Zadarius are the big question marks. And honestly, I've been saying all year, like if you can get one of those pass rushers back, that's the biggest difference because the Packers right now have two legit NFL outside linebackers, and then the other guys like Tipa Galea is playing outside linebacker for him. He's legit listed at two twenty nine by like the team website. Um, And those guys are getting like 15 snaps a game. And you could basically do whatever you want to the Packers defense. Once you gas, you know, Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith and Tipa and uh, Jonathan Garvin have to come off the bench. You can, you know, basically do whatever you want. So if they can replace those reps with a Zadarius, who's even just playing like third downs to keep guys fresh or a Whitney Merciless, who's doing the same thing. That is a world of difference. Like, I think that's, way more important than Jair coming back into the lineup or even Bakhtiari coming back into the lineup. Interesting. Yeah, we'll see how that goes this weekend for the Green Bay Packers as they take on the San Francisco 49ers. I want to dive into this Chiefs and Steelers game. The Chiefs, I think, put a nail in the coffin of Ben Roethlisberger's career. Uh, This game started out kind of slow. Both teams punted multiple times and then Patrick Mahomes threw a bad interception. Andy Reid decided to run a wildcat with McCall Hardman handing the ball off to Daryl Williams, which I've never seen them do ever. Um, And he fumbled it. It was returned for a touchdown by TJ Watt. And then it was like that was the spark the Chiefs offense needed to be like, okay, we got no business being down seven to nothing to this football team. Let's turn this thing on. And then all of a sudden it was, just whirlwind Patrick Mahomes just making plays all over the football field. Jarek McKinnon coming in and, and looking like a like, like a pass catching running back and, and like a little bit more explosive than I feel like they've had in a while uh, with Daryl Williams and Clyde Edwards-Alaire and just kind of adding another dimension to their offense where the Chiefs haven't had a good pass catching running back really since like Kareem Hunt, Damian Williams those days. And so – Headed into this game against the Buffalo Bills, like the Chiefs were dominant uh, against the Steelers, but that's what you expected from them. But I'm not so sure it's going to be that easy, but then you talk yourself into Patrick Mahomes, you know, and and what he did here. And it was the first time I think all season that I was like, okay, that's the Mahomes. That's the Mahomes factor that we've all been looking for from this Kansas City Chiefs team. So two things. First, I bet Chiefs first half minus seven was not watching the game. Um, leaving the stadium and somebody texts me, yeah, your bet's toast. Pittsburgh just scored. Like that, that's not possible. Pittsburgh is not going to score in the first half. And then I find out it's a defensive touchdown. Like what is going on, man? What are they doing? Sure enough, they were able to, you know, do what they do. But as far as a running back goes, so this whole time, it just took Jarek McKinnon to unlock the offense, huh? Um, that's it. He was looking like so, the Anthony Thomas. I was like, <laughs> I was I was recording a podcast. I uh, I didn't get to fully pay attention to the game until it was already like forty two to fourteen. So I know I missed a lot, but I had it in the background. And yeah, Jerry, you just look up and you're like Jerry McKinnon again. And you're like, what the heck? Why weren't they doing this all year? Like, it's not like they're not paying that guy. So has has he been banged up? Steve? So he was on IR. Um, he was he was with them in training camp and, you know, everybody coming out of training camp was like Jarek McKinnon's going to have a big role in this offense. Then he got hurt early in the season and he was on IR for a significant amount of time and he's been back for a while, but they just weren't using him and they really liked what they were getting out of Daryl. So they were using Daryl Williams a lot. Now he's got a toe injury and he wasn't healthy coming in this game. Clyde's been out for several weeks. They might have him back, but all of a sudden, Don't yeah, Jarek McKinnon looks like he's their best running back. If they, oh, that's going to drive me insane if they put Edwards Hilaire back in the lineup over McKinnon on what he just did. So think about it. Darrell Williams, I don't think he's bad at all. I don't think he's, um, I think he's an NFL quality running back. I think the differences between him, CH, and McKinnon is that McKinnon can actually create for himself. Uh, McKinnon has, he has another guy. I know he's been banged up all his career, but I just think he's better in space and create for himself, which is what they need. They need a guy who is good one-on-one. That is not Darrell Williams. That is not CEH. So um, it 
it's kind of funny that this happens a lot for offense. This happens for the 49ers when, you know, they were struggling with Muhammad Sanu. They put in Juwan Jennings, and all of a sudden they start scoring points. Uh, rely on the guys who can win one-on-one. It, it seems simple, but, uh, I mean, the Chiefs did it, and look what they were able to unlock. I don't know. It just uh, – but as far as the, the matchup coming up this week, what do you think? Like, are the Bills going to have their number? Like, are, are the Bills going to have the whole revenge thing to play for? Is that going to factor in? What do you think, Justice? I, I don't think so. I mean, the the Bills – one, I lost a ton of money on that game. And somehow Ooh. I bet I bet on the Bills. So this is what happened. I made a bunch of money betting on the Bills. I lost said money because I also bet the under. Because I saw oh, I saw no. Yeah, terrible. I bet the under in the game, the first game in NFL history where a team scored on every <laughs> single possession. Terrible. Terrible. And I had that team winning. Like I just just pissing away money. Um in terms of the matchup, the thing that still worries me is this Bills team has been pretty volatile. You know what I mean? Like, sure. we're looking at this Bills team from this past weekend and ignoring the entire rest of the season where it looked like they had the one seed locked up at one point and let the Titans creep back into the race, let the Chiefs creep back into the race, and then, frankly, almost lost the the AFC East. Probably should Patriots. have, honestly. Yeah, I mean, they had that that tough stretch. So, I don't know. They, they certainly have a lot of good things going for them. The thing that I worry about is – how are you stopping this passing offense, right? That that's, that's my biggest worry if I'm a Buffalo fan. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for me going against this Bills team, especially after that performance, and I think the biggest thing that's kind of helped them be a little bit more consistent, because I totally agree. I think they're one of the more, more inconsistent teams across the NFL. Like they lost nine to six to the Urban Meyer Jacksonville Jaguars this season. And this is a team we're talking about, like it's the class of the AFC in some regards. But Josh Allen's been running a lot more and their rushing attack has actually been effective now that they're just kind of leaning on Devin Singletary and not bringing in Matt Breida and Zach Moss. And that's kind of opened up the offense and made it a little bit more dangerous to where they've been more effective. And Josh Allen has looked more like that, that Josh Allen that we saw last season. And so I'm scared. Like I'm scared as somebody who covers the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I'm scared of this Bills team. I, I think that they can give the Chiefs a lot of problems, especially because they can all of a sudden run the football, which is something they could not do at all early in the season. And Devin Singletary's actually been pretty good for them over the last like four weeks. This is a game using... that I'm gonna bet like in the second quarter. Cause I feel like once you know what Josh Allen's kind of like mentality is gonna be. It completely changes because like this past week, I mean, he's playing in structure. You know, he he's throwing darts downfield. You forget that that guy is like the guy who like laterals like frequently in playoff <laughs> games. Right. Like you, you forget that he has he's like the son of Brett Favre, essentially, in terms of like on field stuff. So I don't know if I see him do something goofy in the first quarter, like, you know, nine minutes left. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm betting Chiefs. I'm betting Chiefs. But if he's playing in structure and he looks like last week, I'd, I'd be cool with riding Buffalo. It's just that team is just so volatile. I, I just don't know what to make of it. I love the off-schedule runs from Josh Allen, man. I love him, the idea of him dropping back. If he doesn't like what he sees, if he doesn't like what he sees on the first or second read, take off. And and then even on design runs, I feel like he's probably their best runner. And using him as that, especially in the playoffs, maybe they, maybe they waited this whole time for the playoffs to unleash him as a runner. But that would be what I would be worried about if I were you, Steve, is just um, spreading out, spreading the Chiefs out. And now you have one of their linebackers one on one against Josh Allen in the open field. And you saw like he has a gear last week. Like he can run. He's a good athlete. And even if he's not going to be able to outrun, like he's you know, a big, strong guy. So um, just being able to extend plays too against the Chiefs defense that, you know, is, is not that great in the secondary. And the Steelers weren't able to take advantage of that just because of who their quarterback is. But I, I don't think that would be an issue for Buffalo. Yeah, I'm scared of their linebacker matchups. Uh, Willie Gay only played like 25% of the snaps last week, and he's their most athletic linebacker. I would have to imagine he's going to play more in this football game just because the Bills' offensive approach is obviously going to be a lot different than the offensive approach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. But, yeah, it's going to be a tough one to pick because I I think these teams are very evenly matched. I I do like... The way the Chiefs defense has kind of been struggling lately in the secondary, at least, is like 
those one-on-one matchups, those, those balls where, you know, Joe Burrow can just throw up to Jamar chase and, and something like that. Like the bills, I, I do question that with them a little bit. Like, do they have those guys who can go win those contested catches? Like I know Stefan Diggs is an incredible player. I know Dawson Knox is a really good receiving tight end, but I, I think that their secondary matches up a little bit better with these bills pass catchers than they do against some of these other teams in the AFC. No team since week 11 has more carries for more than 15 yards than the Bills. So uh, with with Josh Allen added to that, I think uh, I think they're going to be able to do some damage on the ground. Yeah, that's that's what scares me is his legs. It's it's going to be a problem. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he rushes for like 80 yards in this game. Prop hit that prop, baby. How many laterals? <laughs> that, that's my hopefully question. hopefully several that lead to turnovers but i mean he goes against Mahomes. he might do a no look lateral behind the back we're gonna we're gonna see some a no look off yeah. yeah we're gonna yeah. see some weird stuff this is a great game for the uh nfl highlights like youtube page just like behind the back flips for like 40 yards in between the legs yeah you'll see stuff you've never seen before on an nfl field i'm in favor of it but before we take a quick time out I do want to talk about the Patriots really quick, who had a nice year, right? Rookie quarterback, still rebuilding, trying to figure things out. Total domination. And it felt like the Bills came into this game like we've had stuff ready for this. We're going to just run you out of the building and we're going to end you before you even think you have a chance to win this football game. But moving forward, I do think the Patriots are in a decent spot. You know, you know, the defense is going to be solid year in and year out. They've got to get some more speed at the wide receiver position because of all the inconsistencies they have there. And they just have to continue to develop Mac Jones. I think. Yeah. I wonder how long they're going to be able to stay like this on defense. Obviously, you know, they have a great coach, but uh, you know, that on offense, they're, they're just going to have to get more athletes. They're going to have to get faster. Um, you can only do so much when your leading receiver is essentially Kendrick Bourne, who I've watched a lot of, and he is a good receiver, but he should not be your top receiver. And on that one interception down the field, I don't feel like that's an issue if Mac Jones has you know an actual speed threat. And you can say that with a lot of their plays. Uh, the Bills have a great safety duo, but the Patriots just weren't able to challenge them you know, at, at different depths of the field. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do this offseason. I'm interested to see, you know, how how much better Mac Jones can get as a player and how the offense develops as they build talent around him. Yeah, the the bailout being Mac Jones throwing deep to Nelson Aguilar. It's pro- probably not your best option, right? You could probably do better as an NFL franchise than, than that matchup. Um, the other thing that's kind of fun is uh, Patriots fans squirming a little bit. You, have you guys seen the, uh, you know, how long is Belichick going to be here? Should, should we hire Flores to be you oh know, coach waiting? Should we? I mean, these are the same Patriots fans who maybe two weeks ago were like, if the 2021 draft happened today, Mac Jones is the number one pick. And it's like, settle down, settle down. So they're, they're swinging like a pendulum right now. Um, it's going to be fun. Uh, I, I think Mac Jones has like, what, another, another four games of that, like, uh, that fairy dust on him before they start tearing him down. So we'll see what it looks like. They definitely need to go after some sort of downfield threat. The other thing is like offensively, I think we kind of thought, you know, their offense was going to be led by their tight ends. I mean, they spent so much money on Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. And, you know, we'd seen this Patriots team, you know, go out of a 12 personnel look and and do very well before with uh, Gronkowski and Hernandez. But, doesn't seem like they're really doing the same stuff. Like we never saw Johnny Smith, like take over in the backfield, like Hernandez did. And we never saw, you know, um, Hunter Henry running, you know, empty wide juke option routes, just over the middle, just get open type of stuff. So I don't know, this might be a poor allocation of, of money and no team spent more money this off season than the Patriots. So it is just now kind of setting in for me that, that Boston sports market, if Mac Jones doesn't start looking like Brady soon, they are just going to start tearing him apart. Like the McCorkle, way, <laughs> like the way the, you know, the New York sports market tears apart the jets and the giants and stuff like that. Like Boston is about to turn on the new England Patriots and I am ready for it. We will be on this podcast leading the charge, baby. <laughs> 
So let's take a quick time out. Uh, when we get back on NFL University, we'll dive into the Eagles getting dominated by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Bengals sliding past the Las Vegas Raiders. It's coming up next. I have some exciting news for you, class. Your time starts now. NFL. Crash course? This doesn't happen very often. You're going to enjoy this one. Welcome back into NFL University. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride, joined as always by Kyle Posey of Niners Nation, as well as Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co. I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on the Eagles and Bucks. I mean, this was just kind of total domination from the start. Tom Brady looked like Tom Brady, and the Bucks just simply looked like a more talented football team in my mind. And, you know, the Eagles just barely got into the playoffs. First year head coach Nick Sirianni. It was a decent storyline, but I don't think any of us went into this game thinking somehow the Eagles were going to upset the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the Bucs just simply looked like they're clearly the better football team in this game. So leading up to that game, the line dropped from nine and a half and it closed at seven. And a lot of that, I think, was because of the weather. Like leading up in the morning, you'd have thought that, you know, there was a monsoon in Tampa Bay and the weather was going to be very cold, high winds and then kickoff. It's like 65 sunny, no clouds in the, no clouds in the sky at all. And then Tom Brady does Tom Brady things. I, I don't know if there's anything in that game that we learned about Tampa Bay. Um, it was tough to really get it <laughs> to glean anything from that game just because the Eagles were not a good football team all season. Watch what they did against any team with a pulse compared to, you know, the lesser teams in the league. And you could just see that they weren't really a playoff team. So I guess kudos for you. Kudos to you for making the playoffs. But you got blown out and we don't need these seeds anymore because you are the reason why. Um, What do you guys think about Jalen Hurts that game? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to come clean here. I fell asleep after it was (laughs) (laughs) 17-0. I took a nap. Uh, I woke up and it was 31-0. And I was like, you know what? Don't even regret it at all. I feel refreshed. So I saw a little bit of Jalen Hurts. Um, I think the last couple things I saw was like Jensen going down and then Worfs going down. Everyone said, you know, Worfs at right tackle was visibly hurt and probably shouldn't have been in the game. We'll see how how much damage, I guess, they, they did by playing him in that game, you know, this upcoming week against the Rams. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I slept through most of the, uh, you know, midway through the second quarter on, and I don't regret it. I really love Jalen Hurts as a player. Um, I didn't come out of this season feeling any more confident in him as a passer, unfortunately, which is like kind of bums me out because I do think that he can be a, a really good NFL quarterback in the right circumstance. I just think that he's one of those quarterbacks who needs everything to be right around him. He needs the perfect situation to to really be able to thrive in the NFL and the Eagles aren't a horrible situation right now. I think they definitely need better wide receivers. Devonte Smith, I think is going to be a stud, but Jalen Rieger, Quez Watkins, like just aren't really getting the job done for him in the passing game. And they locked up Goddard long-term and he looked good once they traded Ertz. So I I'm fine with the Eagles moving forward with Jalen hurts. I think he's done enough to say that, you know, he deserves an opportunity and let's keep trying to build this thing around him. I'm just am always going to have my question marks about him as an NFL passer. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it when you say like his situation has to be perfect around him. And usually when that's the case, it's not a good sign for your future. So Goddard had a big drop and they probably would have gotten points out of that drive. Earlier in the game, though, the, he's just missing and he's missing throws. You probably should be missing and not even throws, but like reads like wide receivers were open and he just wasn't getting them the ball. So that is a quarterback problem. At the same time, though, um, Rieger getting third down targets in the playoffs, probably not something you want to do. Probably not something that you want to live by. And it, it just doesn't – it didn't seem like they really had a plan. Like, and whenever I watched them this season, I came away thinking their best players were Miles Sanders and Devonta Smith. Neither of those two were really involved, like, in the manner that they probably should have been, like how they should have been used. And that just kind of shows you, like, what what were they expecting to do against Tampa Bay? Did they really think they were going to be able to zone read them up and down the field? Because that's what they tried to do and it didn't work. And they really didn't have a counter and answer to that off of that. So once their game initial game plan went to hell, 
Um, they pretty much, I don't know, just try to throw things at the wall and hope it sticked. And it did not stick at all. So uh, the Eagles have a lot to figure out if they want to be back in the playoffs. And I don't think we're going to see them in the playoffs anytime soon. Yeah, it, it did feel like they came into this game thinking like, oh, the run game has really worked for us. It's what it's what got us into the playoffs. And so that's what they tried to do. And then it was just like, oh, crap, they have Vita Vea. It's, it's the postseason. What, what are we doing? You can't you can't do this in the postseason. You got to throw the football like. And so, yeah, until they figure out how they can throw the football and compete with some of these teams, it's yeah, it, it's just not moving in the right direction. But we'll see how they do in the NFL. I want to I want to talk about one thing here with Jonathan Gannon, who is getting you know head coaching interviews all across the league as the defensive coordinator for the Eagles. This is a guy who um, basically had worked as a quality control guy. He got into the league because he was at Louisville with uh, Bobby Petrino. He moved up with the Falcons. Um, ended up being a scout for a while. Was a quality control guy and like assistant DBs coach until 2017 so he's only been a full like on-field coach since 2018 uh with the colts um as a db's coach and then joined the eagles as a defensive coordinator this past year he's 39 years old i get he's young um but this eagles defense was the most bland defense i think in the league in terms of scheme and this is coming from a guy who's talks about how the las vegas raiders got to stop running cover three every play um very weird that he's the guy getting these looks and i know Eagles fans will say, like, hey, their safeties were so bad that, like, they couldn't really do anything. But, okay, I'm not saying fire the guy. I'm, I'm saying why is he getting head coaching jobs? And it's always guys from, like, the Northeast or, like, Ohio. And you look at it and it's like, yep, yep, he's from Cleveland. It's like It feels I, like Joe Judge. Like, when Joe Judge came out of nowhere, which is all of a sudden a head coach, I was like, like he he's gotten a lot of interview requests. Eric Bieniemy's right. out here with one, and he's got like five. It doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. Like, and and being a head coach is very different than being a DC or an assistant coach. I understand that, but someone just needs to explain to me what the Jonathan Gannon thing is because I, you look at his resume, I'm I'm not seeing it. Played the Cowboys earlier this season, gave up 41. Played the Chiefs, gave up 42. And I feel like that game, the Chiefs probably could have scored 60. Do you remember that game, yeah. uh, Steve? They could have scored a lot more than 42 in that game. I, I, I want to say they started slow, if I'm remembering uh, that. Yeah, they, they weren't taking it seriously at all. And I think the Eagles actually like had an early lead, and then the Chiefs were just like, okay, we're not playing with this anymore. So if you just go down the li- their list of games against just like teams who – Again, have a pulse. Uh, the last time, <laughs> last week when they played the Cowboys, I know they didn't have their players, but you don't give up 51 points and then deserve to get a head coaching opportunity uh, a couple weeks later. But yeah, when you watch the Eagles, the last thing you think of is, wow, this DC should be, <laughs> should level up to a head coach. Um, just goes They, they never state, beat man. a playoff team this year. Yeah, and it wasn't close their best, either. Their best win is probably the Saints, the Saints or Broncos? Did not have, no, it was the Saints. Because they almost made the playoffs, or they I feel like they came closer than the Broncos. But think about that Saints team. They had like 17 players out. That was the Ian Book game, and that's the only reason they won. And even then, it was still a struggle. So, they, so they beat the Saints team, and it wasn't even the Jameis Saints or the Jacksonville right. Saints. <laughs> that's right. what I was saying. I was like, it might be Denver. Like, the best oh, quarterback fair. you beat is Teddy Bridgewater. Oof. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. Um, Let's dive into the Cincinnati Bengals as they move past the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders had a chance at the end of this one, but poor clock management, bad play calling led to a Derek Carr game ending interception on fourth and goal. Um, you know, the storyline was really the the referee sequence where you know there was clearly a whistle before they ended the play, and then it winds up being a touchdown, and then the NFL kind of comes out afterwards and just lies about it, and instead of acknowledging that they screwed up, they like they just put out a misleading statement. Um, you know, I think the Bengals were going to win this game anyway, so I don't think it really affected the play all that much. But of, of course, there's circumstance there for for you to really question it. Um, I, I just think the Bengals were the better team, and I was actually really impressed with the Bengals' defense in this football game. Yeah, it was it was good to see. It was good for them as a franchise because they have taken a lot of crap and they haven't really obviously they haven't had success in the playoffs for a long time since you can send the text message. They I love how they kept, you know, they made sure it's been a long, long time and you were going to hear about it and you're gonna know about it. But 
I mean, Burrow is awesome, man. And I feel like we should we should highlight some of the things that they did well. Uh, Jamar Chase, who is probably pushing off somebody in practice right now, he if he can get away with it, why would he stop? Like, how could you be mad at him for doing that? If they're going to keep calling it or if they're not going to call it, keep throwing back shoulders, man. Get full extension and, and do your thing. Um, so I, th- I thought it was impressive that they were able to have as much success as they did without really involving T. Higgins, who I think is not he's not going to be on the same level as Chase. But he's like a quality receiver. He's a really good player. And just so for Burrow to have the connection with Chase and knowing moving forward that they still have Higgins, they can still probably get Mixon more involved. And as you said, like the defense made plays. They were able to get stopped. They were able to come up with, you know, timely turnovers. And that is how you win in the playoffs. So uh, good for them, man. I don't think the Raiders are a bad team by any means. Um, consider we just talked about the freaking Eagles. I'd take the Raiders over the Eagles. So, yeah, it was good for them, man. They got a nice playoff win. And now um, they're going to be congratulated with a fresh Derrick Henry. So without probably three of their defensive linemen. Go get them. How much do you think that that whistle actually impacted that play? Because I know a lot of people are mad, and and the letter of the law, right, is that play should have been dead. But if they don't blow that whistle, which is the referee's fault in the first place, and they make the decision, hey, we're not going to let a referee mess up on something that can't be reviewed, decide this game. We're just going to let it go. It, it looked like that he, he was already beaten coverage already. That ball was already being sent, you know? So – to me, even if I were, you know, a Raiders or Bengals fan, I would have understood that play standing. Yeah. So I didn't go. Go ahead, Steve. I was just going to say, like, the TV crew, they were talking about how, oh, it looked like the Raiders defenders slowed up. And <laughs> I was sitting there like, yeah, they slowed up because they were already beat. Like, it was yeah. already a touchdown. So I don't think it really affected the play that much. I thought watching live that Burrow might have been out of bounds. And obviously the replay showed otherwise. But once the whistle was blown, the defender was like two yards away from the guy who caught the ball for a touchdown. So right. I didn't think that it was any like it had any impact at all. Of course, if you're on the wrong side of things, like you're gonna want, you know, the whistle. As soon as you hear the whistle, the play's dead. Like it's a wrap. It's over, and we stop it. And we replay it down or do whatever it is. But that didn't happen. But still, I don't feel like that had anything to do with the outcome of the play. Like he was, they were going to score a touchdown on that play. Should also be noted, Raiders already canned uh, Mike Mayock as the general manager, which I think should have been assumed. Um, when The moment Gruden was out, when he, quote-unquote, resigned, it should have been known May- Mayock's not the guy. Like, he was kind of hired to be a slappy, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he was he was hired to be uh, subservient to, you know, John Gruden. Yes, um, so their head coaching requests have been interesting. Have you guys seen who, who they got? They interviewed Basaccia. And then they interviewed Gerard Mayo, and that's it. So you got oh. the you got the Rudy Rule guy in, and you you got the assistant or the interim guy in. That if, if a team is really going after, um, you know, whale hunting, uh, John Gruden or or uh, Jim Harbaugh. My bad, I got him confused. If a, if a team is whale hunting uh, Jim Harbaugh, that's kind of how you do it, right? Because you can't flirt with the college coach. You have to sign the college coach, and you have to you know, cross your T's and dot your I's before it's done. So getting the interim in and then getting through, you know, the interview for the Rooney rule um, to be compliant with that kind of feels like they're actually going to do this thing and try to go after Jim Harbaugh, right? Wow, that's a really good point. Um, so why, why is it the, – why is the process so slow in bringing Harbaugh in? Like what, what are they waiting on? Well, I think they were waiting on losing. <laughs> they oh, were waiting on sense. losing in the playoffs first and foremost. I guess now, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a general manager thing. Maybe they want to like clear it with the GM. I mean, look at like even uh, at the college level where we saw this with uh, Mario Cristobal with the University of Miami, right? Where they had to get so many things done. And then there was like the deadline of like signing day and all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, they had to get the athletic director to sign off and they needed to make sure like, Everyone was in for this structure because every, you know, one side wouldn't sign if the other side wouldn't sign. So they needed to basically sign at the same time. I kind of wonder if that's the situation because I don't know who Jim would bring in as his head, as his general manager. You know, his general manager was Trent Baalke, who he hated and is now working in Jacksonville. So it's not like there's a ton of NFL ties that he has. I imagine he has a good idea. And I imagine if you are going to hand the keys over to somebody and trust that they will turn it around. I would put that faith in Harbaugh. So I think he's going to get it turned around. If he is a guy, I I wouldn't, I couldn't imagine a better fit, you know, for somebody who 
the Raiders who went through they went through a lot. If you think about not just like so Rudge, much, man. Yeah, it's 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 been a, a rough year for them, and I feel like Harbaugh would be the best guy, you know, to reshape that image. Who would be the funniest Michigan man that he could hire from television to mm. to be the general manager, like NFL general manager? Desmond Adam Howard, Desmond, yeah, Adam Schefter, yeah, Just Rich Eisen. Oh my God, run, Rich, run Let's on the stadium. It. You think he would still run the forty at the combine oh, if he was a GM? A hundred percent. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I do think for that now. Honestly, I, I do think you know Mark Davis. It's reported he wants to make a splash. I think that's how he thinks. So. Like Harbaugh wouldn't shock me at all. If I'm Harbaugh, though, I'm like, I, I want that Gruden contract. Like, I, I want that Gruden money that you were dishing out if you want me to leave Michigan. And that might be also what's holding it up. Like, if they've had kind of, you know, closed door talks or whatever, it, he might be like, yeah, it's, it's not going to be cheap. You're not, you're not getting me for what for less than what you got John Gruden for. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of how those conversations are going. And for whatever it's worth, Gruden does seem like he wants to make big splash hires. Right? I mean, he signed John Gruden for $100 million to come from television. Um, he runs the Las Vegas Aces, the WNBA team. They just stole Becky Hammond from, from the NBA. And, she, you know, she was getting interviews to be a, you know, a head coaching candidate for an NBA team. So it does seem like this is kind of like what he does. I would be pretty surprised. If the two interviews he placed in, which are, you know, Gerard Mayo, who's a positional coach, and then uh, Rich Passaccia, who who is, you know, the interim coach, actually landed. Like, those two, after hiring Becky Hammond and, and John Gruden, one of them, yeah, like, they stand out. You know what I mean? Like, sure. in, in terms of being big splash hires. Like, I would think that he would go after a sitting NFL coach before he hires, you know, a positional coach. Our final game from Super Wild Card Weekend was the Los Angeles Rams totally dominating the Arizona Cardinals. And the Rams, I thought, were really impressive from start to finish. Like, they dominated this thing from the first snap of the game, basically. But how the hell does Cam Akers look this explosive, like, this fast after tearing an Achilles? Like, Cam Akers looks like he's ready for 20 carries a game. There's no way that what he's doing is real right now. It doesn't make any sense. He looks like he never suffered an injury. That it, It's not like this just happened or it happened a year and a half ago. It happened like six months ago, man, and you, you would have no idea. He looks so much faster than Sony Michelle. <laughs> it's amazing. But I think you just got to give a hat tip to the Rams, man. They, they look like the team that we probably thought they should look like, I think is the easiest way to put it. Um, Odell Beckham, really good receiver. Cooper Cup really good receiver they actually blocked which helps which allows Matt Stafford to get into his drops and I don't know how much of that is just due to the Cardinals or whatnot but uh, they look like a complete team their defense actually tried for four quarters and when they turn on with that type of aggression they are a really good unit I feel like um the difference between Arizona and Los Angeles in that game was just like the Rams stars just came to play man like they were there they're ready and uh, not so much for the Cardinals, who I'm sure Justice is about to let Kyler have it. Let's hear it, Justice. Yeah, I got three points here. One, Cam Akers, amazing. We're going to learn that he was, like, uh, getting healed with, like, horse placenta or something in the offseason. <laughs> Two, Odell Beckham Jr. His pops was right, and there's nothing that Cleveland Browns fans want to hear less than Odell Beckham Jr. was right. They are furious. They are hate-watching this team. It's It's amazing. Three. Should we should we real quick should we spend more time and talk about the fact that people were siding with Baker Mayfield over OBJ like they legit thought that no he's the one who's washed up and not the quarterback who we've seen countless times turning the ball over who would end up turning the ball over four four times in a game um, just mind numbing that we had to go through that well he's uh, hurt so you like can't blame him at all three you weeks can't. too <laughs> Jesus what's your third point uh, third point Kyler Murray. Who is seven and sixteen after October <laughs> oh in his NFL career? It happens every year. I can't wait for him to win the Heisman again in September. <laughs> it's absurd. Oh. Well, how was that game three, three and a half? Because um, they just after like two series, you could tell the game was a blowout. Like there was no shot. Arizona had to move the ball. They didn't look like they know they knew what to do. Um, their offense was pretty much. Kyler, take three steps, and we're going to heave it and hope something happens because whatever their game plan was, it 
they didn't have any sort of plan, it looked like, as opposed to the Rams where they were, like, efficient. They were clicking on all cylinders, and they were taking advantage of what the Cardinals do poorly, as opposed to the Cardinals just roll the ball out and did, hey, we don't care where you are. We don't care what, how you line up. We're going to do what we do. And if it doesn't work, oh, well, sure enough, did not work. Oh, well. Well, and coming into this game, I was kind of weary of Matthew Stafford because of his up and down play over the last couple of months. Like Matthew Stafford's been throwing some pretty bad interceptions and I was kind of blown away by like how calm Stafford looked like Sean McVay did a really good job of preparing them for this third matchup. And maybe that has something to do with it. You're playing a team that you're really familiar with in the postseason, and, and you know, you just have more hitters than they do. Like the Rams just have more star power than they did. And every single one of those stars like showed up and, and made impact plays in this game for the Rams. I agree. I mean, I just think they were outclassed, and I think this is why the Rams ended up winning the the division down the stretch. Arizona always felt like a weird team to me. I mean, even watching that Green Bay game, like when they were when they were undefeated, they still won that team. Shouts to uh, JJ Watt though, uh, just not turning down a single spotlight. Right, oh, every spotlight to come back. He hasn't seen a spotlight he hasn't thought is his ever. Um, speaking of spotlights, Lewis Riddick. I know KP has a special uh, oh. place in his heart. Lewis because I think Lewis blocked him after Lewis, Lewis said something like Eli Apple is better than Jalen Ramsey and KP went after him and I was going to tweet this Monday because or sorry yeah Monday night when they played Lewis Riddick once said Vernon Hargreaves who's been on like six different teams now is better player than Jalen Ramsey said that on TV said it proudly went into depth on why and we are forgiving him for that and that's not the only thing he said but I see it every day on Twitter. Lewis Riddick should get a chance for a GM. What? Based on what? Do you Are you guys listening to Monday Night Football, man? Listen to Peyton, listen to Eli, then listen to Ward Salad Lewis and tell me that he deserves a GM. Back to you, Justice. <laughs> Lewis had maybe one of the greatest moments of playoff football, I think, this past game, where it's a third and 16. Arizona's down two scores. They tried the double pass. And then he just chastises Arizona. And he's like, why aren't you running your base offense? You're showing them that you're scared. It's third and 16. You're down two scores in a playoff game. Like Lewis says stuff where you're like, I don't know if we're watching the same game or the same sport, frankly. He's he's a robot. He's programmed to say certain things at certain times, no matter what is happening in the game. He would be such a bad person. So bad as a general manager. Like I legitimately have not been hired yet. I didn't know he had so much beef with Lewis. <laughs> I don't have any problems with Lewis. I, I'm not out here like telling everybody he should be a GM or anything, but uh, it's good to know. Uh, here at the NFL University, we stand by Lewis Riddick is terrible and does not deserve a job. Real, real fr- film grinders only. <laughs> Lewis, Lewis doesn't get the merit badge for film grinder. Sorry. Y- yanked it years ago. So Lewis Riddick. Does not ever deserve a general manager job. And we were all really impressed with the Los Angeles Rams and their yes, over the Arizona Cardinals. I am a little, if that Rams pass rush shows up this week uh, against Tampa Bay and they're missing two of their stud offensive linemen, I'm a little worried about Brady and, and crew this week taking on this Los Angeles Rams team. Yeah. So Worfs and Jensen don't miss time. Like Worfs has played every snap and we're talking about all pro Worfs. And Jensen is probably the best center in the league. So to miss those guys against an Aaron Donald, uh, a Vaughn Miller, that would be a huge man. deal. Yeah. It's and it's annoying. not just that. You have to deal with, the, you know, Floyd too. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's, you got to be all hands on deck. That, that's one of the reasons why when I saw people, again, I, I napped through the second half of that game. Um, when, when I saw people saying like Worfs was like actively like limping on the field, I'm like, dude. The second half of a blowout against Philadelphia is not when you make that move, man. Sounds like Bruce Arians. Yeah, I want to say it was like they they brought him back onto the field and then he got immediately blown up by like Ryan Kerrigan or somebody. <laughs> like Thanks. Ryan Kerrigan's a five player, but Ryan Kerrigan's kind of kind of past his prime now. So sure is. Yeah, sure Tristan Ware shouldn't be getting blown up by Ryan Kerrigan. That says that there's something wrong with him. Been a bad he's... couple of weeks for Bruce. Been a bad couple of weeks for Bruce. I feel like Bruce had built up. A ton of equity, right? He's he's always hiring 
minority coaches who end up slipping through the cracks for whatever reason. He's always, you know, you hear the stuff about him telling his coaches like, hey, you got to make your kids T-ball games and stuff because that's what matters. There's no point in grinding film for 20 hours a day when I know you guys are just hanging out in the office trying to, you know, have a demeasuring contest of who can stay in the office longer, right? So he builds up the equity through that. And then the Antonio Brown stuff where you're like, like Bruce might be a little bit in the wrong here as, as right. you know, as much of a bad faith actor as AB is and then slapping the helmet playing worse. Like, Oh man, Bruce, not like this. Um, Bruce got fined $50,000 for that. Today. Sure did Woo! for the head slap, for that helmet slap because the NFL is like, dude, everything you got going on right now, we can't have <laughs> you out here smacking players on the football field. Come on. Like, we got an eye on you, Deacon Jones, settle down. <laughs> So we'll see how things unfold this weekend with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, if you do want any more like full breakdowns on this weekend's divisional games, make sure you're locked in the SB Nation NFL show. They'll look ahead tomorrow on Thursdays with RJ Ochoa and Rob Stats Carrera. They'll preview every single game for you guys. And make sure that you please subscribe, rate, and review everything that we're doing on the SB Nation NFL show. You can follow Justice on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. You can follow KP at KP underscore show. I'm Steven Serta. That's where you can find me. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to you next week.